Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Imagine having a conversation with a hurting friend who feels like something is off in their marriage. Their spouse seems distant and maybe even uh, is involved with somebody else. And then, what if in that moment you discover your spouse is the someone else and your spouse is being unfaithful to you? That's our topic today on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, and thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, research shows us that certainly infidelity is one of several reasons divorce can happen, but this is probably the most critical thing that can happen. Even the Bible talks about this as the one reason people can leave a marriage is when there's unfaithfulness. It does strike me in such a positive way when a couple can hang on, because again, it, it should not define you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the strength of the marriages that I see that go through this are far stronger, because mm-hmm. they're totally exposed, right? You really know each yeah. other after something like that. And those marriages, again, not all of them can survive that, but those that do, man, they are bonded in a way that's very different. Mm-hmm. And today we want to talk about it. Uh, this is a, an extremely difficult issue. I'm thinking of something that we've um, created called Hope Restored. It's one of our four-day intensives that couples can go to. Many of the couples who come to our Hope Restored four-day intensive have gone through infidelity. And the great counseling staff there can unwind that and help uh, those couples rediscover each other in intimacy and trust. It takes time mm-hmm. to rebuild that. But yeah. I'm so looking forward to the program today because, again, we are in a sexually saturated culture, and sometimes these things happen. And I think the Lord smiles when recovery can occur. Yeah, and we've got some guests who have lived this out in their own marriage. Uh, Josh and Katie Walters are with us today, and they serve on the staff of Seacoast Church. It's a multi-campus ministry in South Carolina. They have seven children, ranging (laughs) in age from 20 to 3, and they've written a book that forms the basis of our conversation today called New Marriage, Same Couple, Don't Let Your Worst Days Be Your Last Days. And we've got details about that and our guests and information about Hope Restored at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Josh and Katie, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank, hey, thank you. you. Thanks so for much having, for having us. us. Really We're good so to have to you. So appreciate it. You know, uh, when we come into a story like yours, I always want to acknowledge right at the front the vulnerability of this. And I've always thought that's got to be a little uncomfortable to always talk about your worst day on, on this earth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> over and over again. But people do benefit from it. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that you guys are willing to do that. Um, uh, we're honored to. We've, yeah. The more we have, we realize mm-hmm. the the more people. You know, our story is a bit extreme, but most every marriage experiences places of pain that uh, are often silent. And so, just talking yeah. about it, we feel like it opens the door for a lot of helpful conversation for people. Well, let's pop the story open and start talking about um, that revelation of the affair. Uh, John kind of described that at the beginning of the program, but Katie, um, what were the circumstances that led to your revealing of this situation. I mean, everybody's going to have a different way that that's done. It's like a fingerprint. Nothing is the that's same. Right. What was going on in your life? What was the day like when you told your husband, okay, we, we got a, I got a problem? 
Well, I still look back at that day as such a bad miracle in a way because I a don't bad know miracle. Bad mir- <laughs> I don't know how the Holy Spirit just got those words out of my mouth because if you have ever been in a place before where you've hidden anything and you've had this secret sin, it can feel like it's going to swallow you, you know? And that day I'd actually gone to a Beth Moore simulcast and I was in the back of an auditorium And she said, there's a girl in this room that's in a pit so deep she can't see her way out. And I knew she was talking about me because Mm -hmm. I've had I had this secret life, this secret sin, you know, this communication with this man that I hadn't told Josh about that were also our close friends. And that night I came home from the simulcast. Again, I don't know how I got there by myself. It wasn't at a church we were serving at. It was a church across town. But the girl from the the couple, the man that I was having the affair with, the girl came over to our house that night, and she was just in brokenness. And she oh. started crying and saying, something's wrong with my marriage. You know, oftentimes they say women can feel there's something going on, something's so she not came, right. And both of you were there? We were both no. there, sitting with and her in the kitchen. she's expressing this, and you know exactly what's going on. Which was normally not the case. It's part of what made it the bad miracle. But yes. <laughs> yeah, me happening to be there, sitting down outside with them, hearing her process, and me being confident, like, no, there's no she one else. Like, I, I think know there's him. someone else in my husband's life. And Josh was like, absolutely not. You know, I know him. This would never happen to him. And when she left that night, as soon as she got out the door, I looked at him and said, what if it's me? What if it's me? That That's all moment. I said. That was the moment. And again, which had to have been just the spirit getting that out of me, you know, to to say that. And that was that we we all often say in these stories of confession it's usually the 10 percent, the tip of the iceberg that the person's willing to get out and there really needs to be grace for that in that moment because it's really challenging you know to expose the whole of the entirety of the betrayal the hiding that's a really unique situation you know that the fact that she kind of sensed something was wrong and then that was partly due to you I mean, and to say that in front of the two of you, walk out. Can I ask, I mean, that period of time, How was this a year, six months, and and was it just emotional, or was it the whole way? Yes, so it started probably a year earlier, emotional, just in my mind, you know, and we used to talk a lot in the, I guess, the earlier days, about 20 years ago, about emotional affairs. If you guys remember the book that came out, Every Woman's Battle, you know, where she said, women, you can have this emotional affair. You start dressing for someone. You think about their life. You covet things of their life. That was definitely happening for about a year in my own heart and Mm. mind. But not that I would have told anyone, you know, not girlfriends, family, just let my mind go there. And We say to couples that the enemy, you know, even starting in Genesis 3, the enemy who is there often plants things in our minds, in our thought life. And that thought life is trying to take you somewhere. During the course of that year, I just continued to hide from Josh. But what happens was that perspective also starts to shift your perspective on your husband. You know, you start to see their weaknesses. Do they even love me? Do they even care about me? So I think that was happening for about a year. But then on May 29th, we had our third son, and he was in the NICU. He was really, really sick. So again, you can imagine I'm on bed rest. There's all of that happening in the relationship. And we also often tell couples that the enemy is just waiting. You know, nobody wakes up thinking they're going to have an affair or betray their husband, but the enemy will just be patient. 
and wait um, for the right opportunity. And I think that was the right opportunity in our life because we were in such a thin place. And that's when the man and I kind of said in this moment of the NICU, like that we had feelings for each other. Wow. That was at the end of May. And so from the end of May to August 8th, when I confessed, I just was in the summer of hell is what I called it. You know, trying to constantly connect with him, the other man, and also try to manipulate Josh and hide from him, not let anyone know. You know, he's a pastor on staff at the church. I'm still serving in the church. So that summer was just devastating. Katie, let me ask you, and then we're obviously going to ask you some questions, Josh, (laughs) but... In that context, the older I get, the more complicated these situations are. Yeah. I mean, there is emotional starvation. There are things going on that nobody can really know about, certainly not the Pharisee among us. Mm-hmm. And we do, mm-hmm. we're hard on these things. And, you know, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that I'm learning is that we, we never understand the full picture of what vulnerability has been created that nudges us toward these things, toward yeah. the enemy lying yeah. in wait. And I I think that's what I so appreciate about what Jesus was expressing, that he knows our pain. He knows our shallowness. He knows mm. where we ache. Mm. So, Josh, coming your direction, mm. um, I mean, the door slams in the next few minutes. Katie turns to you and says, what if that's me? And what did you say? What do you mean, what if that's you? That's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah. that seems and right. So, you know, I remember much of that night in like HD in terms of mm. sitting down, emotions flaring. All of a sudden, we're all out in the front yard. All four uh, of you? All four of us. Mm. And um, I don't know. I, I You see people walk through really difficult things, and I think maybe just subconsciously question, like, could I do that? Well, I've looked back on our story and questioned, like, man, could I do something like that? again and just feel like in that season man it was such a grace covered season where god had given me what i needed for the day every day in terms of walking through it let me ask you i mean again for the person that i mean they may already be divorced the affair happened they're looking back now they're listening how did you find that grace how did you want to find that grace i think i had always had a stubborn faith that um going back to our vows for better, for worse, for richer, or poor sickness and health. Like there was a, a commitment that I made that I will finish this race with her and that we felt called to have a large family. Uh, I think a lot of our love early on was based on kind of the youthful infatuation with one another. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was a love like the father's in the sense that, you know, while I was a sinner. He died for me. He chose me. It wasn't about him just delighting in this kid. And there was a new place of love through pain that that was largely a choice that wasn't going to be, you know, as shallow or as driven by attraction and infatuation. And so ultimately, I would say it's all God. You know, I, I was committed and surrendered to what I believed best. And I believed that me finishing this race with her was God's best, and so I was going to walk through that. Let me press you because, again, this is the one place. Some theologians would argue, too, that mm-hmm. abandonment also fits into this. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to debate the theology of all that, but certainly infidelity is the place that God says that's your exit if you want to choose it, mm-hmm. that yeah. you're justified to do so. Why? Did you not choose that path? I mean, you kind of just said it, but 
Yeah. I, I speak to the person who did choose that off ramp. Yeah. So, so I'd say two things. One, you know, there's very few things that Scripture speaks to that God hates, and I hate divorce being one of those. So, mm. so part of it for me was knowing, like, okay, I know that on my worst of days, He saw me and chose me. I can't imagine a worse day in our story. And if my love is supposed to resemble the Father's love for her, I'm going to be all in on this and believe God doesn't want us to have a mediocre, mundane story. Me choosing to stay isn't going to bring about a okay outcome. Like fullness, abundant of life is what he's going to author through the midst of this pain. But for the person who's chosen another path, man, his grace is sufficient for you. He's yeah. kind and loving and gracious and forgiving. But ultimately like there there are consequences to all of our all of our decisions yeah you're a pastor so you're counseling couples um why do you think god said this breach of confidence this breach of trust is one reason the reason i would let you out of that covenant of marriage why even though he hates divorce yeah why do you think he says this is one spot where you can make that decision. It's intriguing to me because God yeah. does hate divorce, mm-hmm. and it's, so it's kind of fascinating that this breach even outruns God's command mm-hmm. to stay together. Yeah, you know the whole act of infidelity and betrayal is is a soul tie that connects you to another person, and when He talks about this hardness of heart. It can be as if you've left the relationship, you know? And so I just think God's grace at giving allowance for that, that each person has to make their own choice. But I think about your response to compassion when you first heard my story Mm. and you said, you know, I just in vulnerability want to say, hey, Jesus still loves you. He still loves sinners. And I think about that's what Jesus did when the adulterer was thrown at his feet is he recognized, you know, we all get lost sometimes. Like... And mm-hmm. he stepped in with compassion in that moment and instead drew to her, you know, and pushed the accusers away. And so I think I think he makes allowances for all people because we get our own choices, but that God's heart, his character is compassion to draw towards those that are hurting, that right. are lost, you know. And I, I even think, yeah. though, the whole metaphor of scripture being the bride and the bridegroom, that the Lord is saying, even though you're a harlot yes, to yes, all of us. yes. Yeah. That you don't love me the way you should love me. I mean, the whole thing is in this yeah. context of yeah. trust and betrayal. And, and I think I largely felt like I was praying God's will. Like, he wants us to have a, a rich, full, and satisfying marriage. And so, ultimately, the work, I knew there was no switch in her that I could flip to make her want to stay, to make her love me. But I think much of my decision, commitment, choice in that season was aligning with, like, God, I know you want this. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Alexis was really unhappy in her marriage and felt like giving up until she found us on the radio. Focus on the Family saved my life. It just was the lifeline that I needed every single day to keep going and keep hoping I'm Jim Daly. Help us save more families every month by calling 800-A-FAMILY or donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash joy. Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. 
Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Josh, let me uh, come to you again because you created an acronym. Maybe both of you did this together. I don't know, but uh, yep. STAY. Uh, give us the the acronym definition, and then we'll come back and look at a couple of those elements. Yeah. So S is start with me, and that's in a situation like ours where it would seem very easy to point a finger at who is at fault, you know, just to acknowledge, especially in the context of marriage, there's some percentage of this that's my responsibility in terms of the culture that I'd created in the home. T is take quitting off the table. That's kind of the thought, especially as Katie shared earlier, that people can quit long before they leave. And if it's quit in their mind in terms of their their commitment to their marriage or in their heart uh, long before they leave. A is allow others to be a part of your story. And in ours, uh, from the outside, we appeared healthy, but no one really knew the stuff that was going on in our home or in our hearts. And then why is yield to vision? And that's about building a desired future together, having agreement, alignment between who are we becoming, where are we going? That's good. Maybe with your permission, we'll post that on the website yeah, we so people can just look at that. Yeah. And certainly we're going to offer you the book, which has all the things you need to know. But going back to S, let's get into that a little bit with S. Uh, go a little deeper in that definition. Start with me? Yep. Yep. So in our story, uh, I knew that there was nothing. You know, you've heard one person gets better, the relationship gets better. And I knew in our situation, there was nothing that I could do to change Katie's mind or heart. There was no measure of convincing. Uh, she thought that I just wanted to win. Uh, I didn't want to lose uh, with, you know, with a, a best friend and him being the one that she was in a relationship with. So she didn't trust my motives. She didn't necessarily uh, know that she loved me anymore or really liked me. And so really all I could do was focus on me. And there was a a confidence that, God, I know that this isn't your will for us. You don't want to rip our family apart. You don't want to see us go through a a life without one another. You brought us together. And so I just focused in on God of like, okay, if we're going to emerge from this together, and if we're going to emerge from this better, then I've got to let you start with me. And yeah. so what are the choices I made that led us to this place? It's interesting because I think you know, a counselor would suggest that that usually takes a little time for the victim, if I can use that terminology, yeah. mm-hmm. to get to that place that I had a role in this. What are you talking about? I didn't have the affair. She had the affair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could, and you got to get through that. You got So that's a great yeah. path that you got there so quickly. Well, mm-hmm. I still had all of the anger and grief. I still went through the full gamut of emotions, but it was a, a matter of what do I do today? Right. And even as mm-hmm. a pastor, man, I sought God more in that season than I ever had before. I was uh, unemployed. Church had quickly dismissed me, and we were kind of like void of community or a church family. And so Katie was still a school counselor, and I was home with the kids, and so they had a, uh, a morning rest and an afternoon rest. It was really, <laughs> Katie would say, like, kids don't have two naps. And I was like, well, while I'm the stay-at-home dad, they do. Because, like, I needed just the sanity of going after God for those two full hours to, to yeah. get me through the day. And so I think that's where God really brought about that. Yeah. That work. Katie, how about you? Uh, the start with me concept. I mean, yeah. How did yeah, that work well, for you? It does, it does seem easier when you're the one that's fully out there exposed, you know. And so 
for me, what I had to start with me was to start questioning me, you know, start questioning the lies that I was believing, start questioning, I'm thinking this is love with this other man. What I, my first realization was that it was self-love and it took me a while to get there, that this is called self-love, this is called selfishness. And that whenever there's this desire gap between what God has given us and what we want, that is actually an invitation for us to go to Jesus. Mm -hmm. That gap is our invitation. Whether you find yourself in a betrayal situation or just you're wanting more. You know, I want more from my marriage. I, I wish we were more fun. I wish we had more adventures together. All of that gap is meant to actually, you take that to the Lord and to each other to build intimacy with you, Jesus, and your spouse. So starting with me really started questioning with me, is there any lies I'm believing, any ways that I'm discontent or dissatisfied, and I've blamed that on Josh. I was a master, what I call blame shifter, where if our life was not going up and to the right, (laughs) there was one man that was at fault for that, you know? And I blamed him for all of that. And so a lot of these principles in the book, you know, again, really helped us rebuild when we were standing on rubble. But they have also yeah. helped us even today to, hey, we just want to, we want more. We want to go to a new place. With T, take quitting off the table. I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, the D word is not in our vocabulary, however you want to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for you, the Lord spoke directly to your heart. Something to do with, uh, I think you can have my feet. Yes. So let's connect these dots. Yeah. So again, take quitting off the table for me. I think I'm naturally a quitter. He is not. (laughs) He is more faithful, (laughs) you know, but I have a high quit factor. And if there's anybody listening that's like me, Jesus still loves you, but he will meet you to strengthen you towards faithfulness, towards endurance. And so when I would spend time with Jesus, uh, he would give me these words of, hey, you are actually quitting in your mind. You're still going places. You're still not believing that I can restore this marriage. I would think that if I stayed with Josh, I would have done the good Christian thing and I would have ended with like a pal. But God would show me, hey, I am the author of all things, emotions. I can resurrect anything. You know, don't quit in your mind. Really give me your feet. And so that was my language. I would say, God, you can have my feet. My heart is not all the way back yet because of my own choices again and sin. But still, that was the reality of what we were facing. My heart wasn't all the way back yet, but I would say, you can have my feet. I'm going to commit myself to you to your plans, trust yeah. myself. Josh, you know. in that vacillation, um, I mean, what kept you engaged? How did you navigate that pain and fear about losing her? I mean, it would it maybe mm-hmm. been different if Katie came back that night and said, I'm all in, I'm so totally. sorry, I love you 100%, I made a mistake, please love me, please take me yeah. back. Uh, but it wasn't quite like that. She was vacillating, yeah. which again puts a lot of pressure on you to trust the Lord in the process because well, you were getting the affirmation. Yeah. Well, that's where the great news of you can have my feet. It was like, man, that was the best news ever because at least we were using real words. And I knew mm-hmm. just by way of her saying, I don't know that I love you anymore. Uh, it was evident on her face. I could hear it in her voice. And so, but the fact that she was telling God, you can have my feet just meant that we're going to be under the same roof every night. I was pray over her every night after she had fallen asleep. I could be the one to serve her when she got home from work. I'd have her cheese and crackers, a little <laughs> wine and snack plate. I could uh, go on walks with her in the evening. It's like all the little things that I had taken for granted earlier on in marriage or had not done. It's like, man, I was going to do in this season because I've, I've felt how fragile 
the relationship How was. did Luke 23 work into your calculus there? Ultimately, it helped me separate Katie from the act that she had committed. Uh, God just helped me mm-hmm. see very clearly, like, who she is is not what she has done. And, and so, yeah, and that is, God forgive them for they know not what they mm-hmm. do. Exactly. And yeah. so in a, on a day where if I'm Jesus looking at these people that had mocked, beaten, and persecuted, I'm thinking they know exactly what they've done. Mm-hmm. Yet his prayer was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. And so I feel like a big part of that season you know, you would never get mad at a spouse or a friend for getting up in the middle of the night and stubbing their toe and waking you up like, gosh, what are you doing? I'm sleeping. Well, ultimately, Katie had made a decision in a dark place. And so in this season, I could either remind her of her name means pure at heart. I could remind her who God created her to be. I could be a picture of him to her, or Mm -hmm. I could take my anger, grief, disappointment, frustration out on her, and it just drive us further Mm-hmm. apart. So ultimately, I, I took all that to God every day in hopes that he would be the one to work in our hearts at home and rebuild something yeah. special. Mm-hmm. I mean, this time has flown by. Uh, we've covered just very little of the story. We're thinking this would be one day, but we've got to come back for a second day and continue the discussion. Mm-hmm. I think it's so healing for people to hear what you've done, what you've gone through. Again, we started with Having to relive the worst epic in your, you know situation in your life, and uh, yet it's going to help so many people. So if you mm-hmm. can, let's stick together. We'll come back for a day two and talk more about how the Lord brought healing. Can we do it? We'd Definitely. love to. We'd love to. All right. If you're in this spot or you know somebody who is, this is a resource you need to get. New marriage, same couple. Uh, we often do this, but if you can make a gift of any amount, we'll send you the book as our way of saying thank you. If you can't afford it, we'll get the book to you. We are a ministry, and we'll trust others will cover the cost of that. So the bottom line is we want your marriage to thrive. We want you to find kind of that revelation of how much God wants you to succeed in your marriage because it is the metaphor of the kingdom of God, and he wants us to live it well. So we would encourage you, if Hope Restored is something that you need, a four-day intensive program, it has a post-two-year 80% success rate. I don't think there's anything in the country quite like this. It is hard work. It's about 36 hours and four days of getting to the core stuff and kind of repackaging everything for you as a couple so you can do better in your marriage. And again, an 80% post-two-year success rate. We go back to every couple after two years. Isn't that amazing? It really is. So we're excited about the the work the Lord is doing in our Hope Restored program. There's a a number of locations. Mm -hmm. Just get in touch with us and go through the details of going through that program. It's probably one of the best things, if not the best thing, you can do for your marriage. Yeah, Yeah, take that first step. Learn more about Hope Restored and uh, request this book, New Marriage, Same Couple. When you call us, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Of course, we have all the details at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Again, 800, the letter A in the word family, or focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back next time as we continue the conversation with Josh and Katie. And once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. 
Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. I would think that if I stayed with Josh, I would have done the good Christian thing and I would have ended with like a pal. But God would show me, hey, I am the author of all things, emotions. I can resurrect anything. You know, don't quit in your mind. Really give me your feet. And so my heart wasn't all the way back yet, but I would say, you can have my feet. I'm going to commit myself to you, to your plans. That's Katie Walters describing the spiritual battle she faced in deciding whether or not she'd stay in her marriage. Uh, The good news is God transformed Katie's heart and healed her relationship with her husband, Josh. And today, they're more in love than ever before. Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, this is a really good news story and a miracle about God's grace and forgiveness and restoration of a marriage that seemed doomed to fail. I mean, when you hear the opening of this, you're going, there's no way. They could have survived because many couples believe infidelity means their relationship is over. It's the unpardonable sin, and there's no hope of reconciliation. But as Josh and Katie shared with us last time, God can do amazing things when our hearts are open Mm. and tender towards him. Uh, He wants to heal broken hearts and bring new hope to you and your spouse. And certainly, you know, Gene and I want that, right? Who doesn't? Uh, that's what Josh and Katie experienced. And if you missed the first part of our conversation last time, I want to urge you to get a, a download or CD from us, or even better, get the app for your smartphone and you got the whole library right there. Uh, check the previous episodes on YouTube, which is another way you can watch and listen. Yeah, we're uh, trying to be everywhere we can where <laughs> you want to listen or watch. And uh, the Walters have captured their story, their remarkable story, in a book called New Marriage, Same Couple. Don't let your worst days be your last days. And we have copies of that when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. If you're at that point and you're wondering if your marriage um, may not survive, uh, maybe there's infidelity or too much conflict, or you've simply lost hope that your relationship will get better. If that describes you, I want to urge you to contact us here at Focus on the Family today. Uh, We have resources for you like our counseling team and Hope Restored, where we provide intensive counseling for couples on the brink of divorce. Don't let it happen to you. Get the help you need today. Let's see what miracle God wants to perform in your marriage. Mm, Yeah, and again, we're just a phone call away, 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Josh and Katie, welcome back to Focus. Thank you for having us. <laughs> it was uh, really interesting. I so appreciate, again, that vulnerability that you express. And, you know, I said it last time, I'll say it again, to live that worst day of your life over and over again. But it benefits other people. And I'm mm. grateful that God has given you the courage to do this. And I know it's not easy, mm. but thank you for doing it. Mm. And, um, you know, we'll get into more of the benefits of a road less chosen which is to stay together, to fight for your marriage, to get through uh, an affair, and to come out on the other side with 
what I would say would be a stronger relationship. Would you mm-hmm. agree? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is a yeah. good benefit right there. Let's That's just start right. with that goal in mind. <laughs> and uh, let's continue on. We talked last time about this acronym you created, which is STAY, Start With Me. You know, in other words, you and God work some things out. What did I do to contribute to this? I think that takes a lot of courage. Uh, you may not get there on day one, but mm-hmm. that is the goal. You go in and into counseling, that's what they're going to talk about in marriage counseling is yeah. what part of this do you own? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you another part of that I didn't mention in the last episode. It is, God, what is my responsibility in this? But it was also Psalm thirty four eighteen. God's close to the brokenhearted. Like there was grief and pain that I needed comfort that's easy to take to your spouse. Hey, help me with this. Comfort me in this. You're not meeting my needs. So, yeah, S was very much a a me and God starting point. There's such a deflecting uh, approach that we as human beings have. I mean, David had it right until Nathan confronted him. But we have an incredible inability to look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're generally perfect. (laughs) We we didn't do anything wrong. He was the problem. She was the problem. Lord, deal with her. That's not what the S is for. (laughs) uh, I don't even know an S word that starts with deal with her or deal with him, right? It's deal with me, start with me, so that's good. Uh, T was uh, take quitting off the table. Some describe that as divorce is not in our vocabulary, Mm -hmm. and that's healthy. Uh, Allow others to be part of the story and then yield to the vision. So in that T, just to finish off, because we didn't get to this question last time, uh, Josh, during your recovery process, you and Katie did something called confessional therapy. I'm not familiar with that, so how did that work in this situation? We had never in the past confessed our sin to each other. And so a lot of that is the thought of, you know, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin, cleanse, purify us from all unrighteousness. But Scripture also speaks to confess your sin one to another that you may be healed. And so I think there was a lot of healing in that season that came from really it being the first time that we confessed the hardest thing to one another. And so it brought us to a place of sharing you know katie would say things like hey i used to wear this headband for him and we would throw it away together you know i had never been so excited to throw away a <laughs> headband or, <laughs> or right. she would share a thought and every time she did it was so counterintuitive because you would think something so painful would would drive me away but it was an invitation closer and that i realized like man she didn't have to tell me that mm-hmm. and she chose to and mm-hmm. so it, it somehow built intimacy the more we were willing to do that and we had to get language around it because it wasn't common especially for me it would be really hard so i'd have to say like hey can i tell you something hard and it let me know is she in the frame of mind is she stressed with the day and dinner and the kids can i say something like that right now or Mm -hmm. she would say something like hey can you handle me and that was her way of saying, like, hey, I'm about to say something that could hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I would have to, yeah, you know, yeah, this is a good time. What you got? Right. Well, that's good, transactionally, because yeah. mm-hmm. you could yeah. be in not a very good emotional place. And totally. That's the last thing you want to hear, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, moving on into that, allow others to be part of the story. What, what does that look like? I mean, that could be really dangerous, I would think, yeah. initially, that, you know, can you trust these people yeah. if you're going to talk about your situation? 
Well, one thing that helped us in this part of our story is I had a night, probably the lowest night of our whole story, where Josh had found out something I had not confessed to him. He was really upset. We were at my parents' house, and that was the first night that he had chosen not to sleep in the bed with me, and I was so full of shame. And in this night, I actually was so low. You know, that shame is trying to take your life. I mean, truly, for anybody who's felt this shame before. And where is this in the this process? Is, this you... is probably about three to four months afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. after um, the revelation. After the confession. Yeah. We're here at my mom's house, and we're still trying to rebuild. But, of course, I have all the public shame. But now I also feel this just distance with Josh. Largely because there was still the, like, pursuit. I mean, the it was vacillation. almost like a, yes. a yeah. so drug, you were like, drawing okay. her back. Yes. And, And so in this night, you know, I honestly got a knife. I mean, I was feeling so low, but I also had my Bible beside me and I pulled my Bible towards me. And in this low moment, I started to hear God's voice and I started to hear him say, Katie, I love you. I have plans for your life. Once I could start to hear the voice of God again, I realized he was kinder than any Christian I had ever known. Mm -hmm. And that freedom started to help me understand that we didn't have to hide anymore from other people. We we had been the pastors, the leaders, you have to know what you're doing, you have to have it all together. Yeah. But that changed in our story because we started to realize, why would I fear man when I have a loving God who knows everything, who mm. still loves us? Yeah, and I think for me, that's where early on, part of it was what I would say was adulting. You know, we were in our early 20s and had gotten master's degrees, started building a family, our first professional jobs, and no one put it on me, but I just felt this pressure to posture to be the man that had the answers to be successful. I think that's very normal. Yeah, and it works for you at times until yeah. you find yourself in a situation that you can't fix. And so, mm-hmm. Katie, I don't I don't want to rush by that because you know, that was a suicidal ideation. I yeah. mean, you were thinking, I mean, the the fact of a knife and a bible right there, that's quite totally. powerful. Well, John Tintin's always been our life first. Yeah. You know, we like carved it in our driveway of our first home, but we say we didn't pay enough attention to the fact that the first part is a warning. You know, yeah. the second part is a promise, but the when thief he says comes to steal, steal, kill, kill and destroy. destroy. And whenever you've been faced with a temptation, or like I said before, when everyone gets lost, you know, at times away from God, but the enemy's goal is to still kill and to destroy our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what shame is meant to do. That's why, as Christians, we need to draw close to those that are broken with compassion, because that's what Jesus would do, Mm -hmm. you know. And I would hope in that desperation, you know, especially teenagers, just in the issue of suicide. I mean, there's a suicide hotline. Certainly uh, call for help. Make sure that um, that pain is known by your family. My wife's family has suffered that twice. Two suicides within her family. So it's a desperate time. It's the lowest a human Mm -hmm. being can be when you're actually thinking of taking your life because of that shame. Yeah, it's so true. And that's when, you know, this is critical moments. There's many critical moments in your life, but you definitely need outside voices, godly voices, counsel. You know why I love all that you offer here with Focus on the Family, but that's the allow others to be a part of your story because we had realized that the enemy was not each other. We had a real enemy that we were fighting, but we also needed guidance to help us rebuild. And so it was easier to do that in brokenness because we were at such a point of humility. But we've encouraged so many couples. You know, Josh always says, disciple means learner. 
So humble yourself to grow to a new place in marriage. You're going to have to allow others to come alongside of you often to give you perspective you don't have. You know, when I think about it vocationally, there's probably no greater an example of oil and water than being a pastor and having an affair within that context, Mm -hmm. either the pastor's wife or the pastor. And it happens. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine that shame could run pretty deep. How did you get on your feet spiritually with that? With you know, beyond your small group, you ended up, I think, going to uh, Seacoast Church. Was yep. that after the uh, situation? And so yeah. we were still in Columbia, and I met a guy named uh, Mac Lake who seemed to just embody husband, father, pastor, normal guy, but loved <laughs> God, and he was the first guy that I met that really gave me a vision for the kind of man I wanted to be. So I asked him, hey, if I can cut your grass, wash your car, if there's anything I can do to just be around you. Wow. And so I would drive up from Columbia, and uh, he was the leadership development pastor at Seacoast at the time, and we would do goal setting. And he would be like, all right, Josh, what are your goals for this year? And I just remember thinking, like, I'm unemployed and my marriage is busted. My goals. Like, what <laughs> yeah. you, what Breathe. You, what are you talking Breathe about? Breathe are my goals yeah. today. And I remember one, he processed it with me, and I, rem, I remember one of them being he challenged me to be – uh, mentally present, not just physically present. And so even just the, walking through the process of creating goals like that in a painful season, I just think, I, uh, man, it was a day at a time, a step at a time, God giving me what I needed for that moment, for that day, and trusting him with tomorrow. How about you, Katie? What was their message to you? Well, it was incredible. So we moved to Seacoast really to be around Mac and his wife, Cindy, and my mom was on staff there as the women's pastor, but we didn't think we would ever do ministry again. I really thought I had taken that from Josh. And, you know, we saw Mac as this man and Cindy as people that focused on their family. You know, you think about everybody says- <laughs> I like that. Exactly. Like everyone says they want to focus on their family. <laughs> but do they really, you know? Got a ring and to so it. that's right. But they did. They really prioritized their family. And so when we would sit with them in small group week after week, you know, they just had hope. They had never been through betrayal like we had. In fact, Cindy used to tell me, I mean, Max just always been my best friend. And I'm thinking, your best friend? I can't stand this man. You know, <laughs> I was just in such a dark place. But they just gave us hope. They're like, God is with you. God's going to get you through it. You know, I would look at her and she would say, what are you scared of? And I would say, I'm scared of me. Like, what if I do this again, you know? And she would say, God is with you. God's got you. You know, she just gave us hope and love, encouragement, and walked with us through pain. Mm. And it definitely changed our life because that's what we hope to offer others when we sit with them and couples and have coffee with them is just to give them the same supernatural hope that if God is for you, nothing can be against you. He can renew, you know, all things. Um, So they continued to just do that for us, which was incredible. You talk about celebrating markers. I think, you know, the Old Testament, certainly the Jewish people did that. They'd have a battle and then build a monument by piling rocks up, and that became a marker of a great victory or whatever it might be, a moment that the Lord obviously intersected their lives. Yeah. What are celebrating markers in this regard? Well, I remember the the dark days, which anyone listening may be in right now, where mm. every conversation leads to an argument or where it's been a long time since you've seen the like fun and flirty eyes or really enjoyed each other. When you've been through a, a long, dark season and have a moment that is life-giving and hopeful, 
it's like, man, you can't not celebrate because like something different happened in that season in particular. A silly example, talk about Katie having the spiritual gift of sleeping in the car that any time I <laughs> start it, sometimes it'd feel like before I pull out of the driveway, she's that's asleep. kind of warm and cozy. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> but I remember a day where we were driving around Charleston running errands, had got home and I, I had the realization like she didn't fall asleep. Like, we talked the whole time. She was engaged and with me the whole time. And mm. I, I just remember it being such a line in the sand of our relationship, because that's the kind of stuff we did in college. Like, there was so much anticipation yeah. to be around each other. Talk, 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 I talk. I was never going to sleep <laughs> when she's right. around, you know, and, and it happened again, you know. So it's it's just identifying But he the, stopped and celebrated that. Like, you didn't sleep today, you know. So celebrating the markers is really important along the journey, you know, to value. Look at what God's doing. Just like putting up those Ebenezers. My mom is the queen of that. Like, she literally has an Ebenezer wall, you know, in the back of her um, yard where she marks God's faithfulness to our family. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Lonnie and Kay's marriage was in trouble. They'd grown apart and lost their love for each other. But then they got help from Focus Counselors. I guess what I'd say is I cherish her now more than I did before, and I have a way that I can communicate to her that I did not have before. And Focus on the Family has given me that ability. I'm Jim Daly. Help us save more families every month by calling 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com slash joy. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Okay, let's get into the why. Yield to God's vision. Just define, you know, what that means. I think I get it, but uh, maybe not. Well, I love vision. So vision, a definition could be just a clear mental picture of a preferred future. And, you know, if anyone's listening and you lead anything, you have to give vision. You have to give a why. You have to talk about where you're going. But I feel like a lot of times in our marriage and our families, we don't do that. And I would say a big part of our story came because we had vision drift in the sense that in college, we had a very clear picture of who we were going to be, what life was going to look like. But then we started having babies. We got jobs. You know, Life uh, became life. Life. Yeah. (laughs) Mike Tyson's uh, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good line. And it it punched (laughs) us in the face. And all Uh of a sudden... We had responded to life instead of going after the vision of who we wanted to become. Our life looked more like the result of things that had happened to us. So yield to vision is really more about coming back to the source of saying like, okay, God, you created me with good works in advance for me to do. You came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. You've uniquely given me gifts and talents. You put me together with this person. Who do you want us to become together? Where are you leading us, taking us, and then allowing God to speak into and guide that? You use an analogy about the forest and the trees. I think every parent, we've gone to that analogy and applied it in a variety of ways, right? Son, you're not seeing the forest through the trees. What does it mean in this context? I would say it's so natural in marriage, especially when there's conflict in a relationship, to get locked in on the source of conflict. Like, Mm -hmm. what was the thing that initiated this division, this problem, this pain, in our relationship and to focus on that Mm. instead of the perspective of believing and trusting our God is authoring a much bigger story here. And he's wanting to use this pain, this problem to sharpen us, to strengthen us, to bring us together. And so I would say the discipline of it for us was more 
daily having to step back from the tension, the problem, the pain to look at, all right, God, what are you doing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the bigger picture? And the parenting analogy is a great one because, you know, we told you we have a 20-year-old and a three-year-old. And with the three-year-old, we feel like we're kind of grandparenting at this point because (laughs) everything is cute. Everything is adorable. We know she's going to get through the passy phase. Yes, they get the best parents because you're so relaxed. (laughs) You know, you enjoy it more. And, but the truth is what we have is just a bigger perspective. Mm -hmm. That first born, I was so tied up. You know, I wanted to do it all perfect and I couldn't enjoy it, those moments. And the same can be true in marriage. You know, when you can get this bigger picture perspective, just like Josh said, what's God doing? Where are we going? You don't get so hung up on the small things. Josh, let me ask you about uh, the Grand Canyon. Now, this is going to be funny because I know where this is going. I've read the story. But so often, there's if we're listening to the Lord, man, He is speaking all the time. Yeah. Yeah. If we can slow down and actually just see it, so you're on this trip to the Grand Canyon. I think I think Katie's asleep in the car. If oh, I remember yeah. correctly, she is asleep in the car. Yeah. Yeah. and then something happens. Yeah. What happens? Yeah, so we're driving up this long, narrow road with just huge, nothing but trees on all sides of us. Nothing of this resembled the beauty I was hoping for us to share together and seeing the Grand Canyon. We had just flown to Scottsdale, Arizona to purchase a car, and we're driving back across the country. But I was like, let's just see something beautiful, you know, to start this drive. And so we're driving up this road, trees on both sides of us. The sun's just starting to set. And I'm thinking this was a bad idea. We're not, I don't have a clue where we are. We're not going to find it. She's sleeping. Uh, all of a sudden, we round this corner, and uh, the canyon opens up the most epic view we had ever seen in terms of sunset and the beauty of the Grand Canyon. And in that moment, God spoke and said, that's how quickly your story can change. And I had been in a season where I had hope that God could do it, uh, but I think I was questioning as to would he do it and like, how long was this going to take? And so to hear that from him, that's how quickly your story can change. It rebirthed hope in me to where Every day, every time she got home from work, I knew all it took was one moment, one dream, one word from God, and it could flip that switch inside of her heart that I couldn't touch. So I start crying. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, Katie wakes up like, what's wrong? I was like, what's, what's wrong? happening? God just spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, great, though. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've been on that. High, that's Kanab, I believe, hmm. uh, National hmm. Forest. But okay. you come through yeah. that. Yeah, that view, that vista is breathtaking. And uh-huh. up until that point, you're just on a road. Yeah. And then you make that turn and go, wow. Yeah. Because there's nothing like it. And everything about it, you know, if you're walking through something like this in your marriage yeah. and it feels like a long, boring road lacking any any beauty, it just reminded me that there's a much bigger narrative at play, that there's a purpose to the road. That's right. God wants to move and work and shape something in you, but he is leading you somewhere beautiful that if you can keep going, man, he uh, he can do something special. Katie, That's let right. me ask you this. The, uh, the thoughts that kept rippling through your mind, and you've alluded to this a couple of times, can I really love him the way mm-hmm. I need to love him? Uh, fair question. Probably a deep-hearted question. Mm-hmm. A desperate question question Mm -hmm. if i'm going to go the next maybe 40 more years with this guy yeah i've got to be able to love him what happened uh as you began to try experiments to see if this is really working if i (laughs) if i really am in love it really was just the whole in our weakness his power is made perfect because i had a right estimation of myself at that point and if you've ever been through a season of deep shame or brokenness 
you know, that's the truth. We are all sinners apart from God's grace. So I had a right estimation of myself, but what I think I had a wrong estimation of was his power, Mm -hmm. his love, who he wanted to be, his active working inside Mm -hmm. of me. And so I think, you know, that's what I got to discover over that year is, wow, I have underestimated my God. You know, he's not going to leave me Mm -hmm. in this place of brokenness. He's not going to leave me as this, you know, betrayer. And that's why I think we even love sharing about our pain because we have seen all the miracles that he's done, you know. Another thing that really encouraged me for that in that season of would the love be real? Like, what could it, the fun, flirty, free, amazing marriage we'd always wanted, could he still do that? That word, bara, um, in the beginning, God created um, that word created is bar and it literally means something from nothing. And so I just mm-hmm. loved the, when she would say, I don't know that I love you anymore. I was like, check, <laughs> like watch him, watch, watch him God. do something from nothing. You mark those words. Cause I know God mm-hmm. can do it. Wow. And then so. he did. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. You had that attitude yeah. rather than some other things you could say. Well, <laughs> it was just, it was good. And, and that's like, man, I just feel like so much of it. The angels appearing to the shepherds, behold, I bring you good news that'll cause great joy for all the people. Like if you're if you're in a season of marriage where you would say this is not great joy, then just know that God is not done. Like He wants yeah. abundant life for your marriage. <laughs> and so, so if it feels like nothing, yeah. just know He is the the God of creating something from nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's really right. good, and what a great note to end on. This is perfect. And I'm so grateful to you for, again, coming and telling us about all the flaws, (laughs) but then how God tied it in a bow. And that's what's most important. Uh, And the recognition that, that, yeah, we're broken people. And so often in the Christian community, we're trying to put that perfection forward. Mm -hmm. And underneath that little wrapping paper is a lot of brokenness for all of us. So I love that. Just the way you turned toward the Lord and said, okay, Lord, work on me and then help us. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're walking testament. You're your own Ebenezer. That's right. <laughs> so hopefully your mom it. has that on the That's wall. Right. The picture of the two <laughs> of you. Right. What God can do to bring That's a marriage right. together. And if yeah. you're in that spot where it's not working and there's so many thoughts you're having, probably, Lord, where are you? He's there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start that conversation. Give us a call. We have great, caring Christian counselors. And uh, the donors uh, allow us, through their financial support, to have about 20 counselors on staff. And they do this all day long. They talk to couples, talk to people about where they're at, and get them started toward healing. And, uh, of course, this great book, New Marriage, Same Couple, is a resource we'd like to get into your hands. If you can make a gift of any amount, if you can become a monthly sustainer, Gene and I do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do John, well. you and Dina yeah. do that. Uh, it's a great way to help the ministry. It evens out the cash flow for the budget for the year or a one-time gift. Either way, uh, we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. If you can't afford it, we are going to get it into your hands. So just call us and say, I I don't have the money right now. We'll get it to you, and we'll trust others. We'll cover the cost of that. Yeah, give us a call. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for making a donation. Also for getting a copy of the book, New Marriage, Same Couple, by Josh and Katie Walters. And then uh, finally, there's details there about Hope Restored, our marriage intensive. We've referenced it a couple of times uh, these past few days. Uh, What a terrific program. If you're struggling in your marriage, uh, talk to a counselor and learn more about Hope Restored. Again, 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. 
Josh and Katie, thank you for being with us. This is so good. Oh, thank, thank you, you so for much. having us. We're so grateful Appreciate for your ministry. Thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.